Well, thank you guys for listening. My name is Michael, and this is Stranglehold on America. Back from- and this is his co-host number two and number three, Liam. You, you keep changing. I thought you were one and two. Now you're doing three. I yeah, but that's the thing. We like to throw away those gender roles and those like unnecessarily masculinity. We just change around. We don't have like a side of the bed we stick to, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> side of the bed. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, we're back from hiatus. It's probably been like three weeks since the last episode, but we're coming at you live on uh, YouTube here. You can watch us, our pretty faces talking or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so yeah, this episode, we're gonna be diving a little bit into the student debt crisis, looking at some of the causes, effects, uh, trying to understand some arguments for and against, you know, where we can take it, what we can do from uh, where we are right now, and just ways to kind of fix how awful and uh, kind of messy the current system is. Messy is an understatement. I describe it more as a debt trap for those who fail and then a freaking hindrance to those who succeed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what happens when you make education so fucking expensive. But uh, so we're going to just, I guess, lay out here just a little bit about the episode. Uh, but before we do that, if you guys are listening, you can follow us on Instagram at Strangleholds on America. You can follow us on YouTube at Strangleholds on America or Twitter at Strangleholds on America. Check us out on there. Uh, it's been kind of quiet. I have, I, have, I have been neglecting my duties, but I'm coming back at you guys with some more content very soon, very soon. So keep up to date on the show. I'll post uh, updates on when episodes go live, you know, what content we're going to be producing, um, just kind of things like that, things to keep you guys in the loop. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. should be a lot of fun. I'll have to uh, follow those with my uh, second, third, fourth, thousandth bot account. <laughs> yeah, be followers strong right now. Let's, let's get that up a little bit. Guys. Let's get the bot farm coming in. <laughs> if that's what it takes. If that's what it takes to win the YouTube, YouTube Twitter, Instagram, Podbean, <laughs> I don't know, all of the systems. All sacrifice what we that's all of them. Um, yeah, right. I mentioned yeah, you guys are listening to us maybe on uh, Podbean, but we also have this recorded live and we post that on YouTube. So if you're interested to see how ugly we are, you can check us out on there. Ugh, wow, you, you're really listing, listing everybody up here. I feel, it, I feel it's a gloomy day around here. I got to keep with the mood. It's kind of, yeah, honestly, it's been raining on nonstop, nonstop. It's been raining, too. it's not raining here yet, but okay, oh, that's besides this is all semantics. All right, so let's dive like straight into this <laughs> head first. So uh, we're going to be touching on a lot of things in this episode. Uh, free college, we're going to be talking about state funding, we're going to be talking about the GI Bill. Like this is a very monkey's paw of a problem. There's so many issues that tie into it that kind of cause it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that it's not, it can't uh, be uh, discharged in bankruptcy for student loans. Um, the fact that our banking and federal government has just kind of flooded the market with money. It's just, there's a lot of things that are very much compounded to create this issue. Yeah. But at least to start here, we're going to start with a beautiful thing with Noam Chomsky. <laughs> so when we look at other countries like Mexico, which is a poorer country in the, than the US and still has essentially free higher education, and, and when the government tried to raise the prices for that education, there was a student strike that occurred. The question becomes, why can't we have this in America? Why can't we have free education? Why can't we just pay for that higher education? And fundamentally, I believe that comes from like the onslaught of neoliberal ideas that have affected America for the past 30 to 40 years since about Reagan. Um, and the idea of a lot of companies sacrificing individuals, a lot of uh, people sacrificing like the person uh, for efficiency, no matter what that consequence might be. And so as we're watching these um, like neoliberal policies put together, we're saying, we're talking about how universities are getting more corporatized and how during this time, we're seeing a large rise in administrators with a tendency towards professional administration. This uh, buildup in administration in that we can't have student, uh, that we have these like countries nearby us that are not struggling, it's hard to do it. 
uh, it sets us up with a dichotomy where we see these other industrialized countries, even those that are not making as much money as our country, having free education. So it becomes more and more irritating and kind of upsetting that we don't have that. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's very frustrating to look outside. And you do this with so many other issues, but like, I think free college is a big one, especially for obviously me and your college students. So it hits a little bit closer to yeah, sure. um, naturally. <laughs> But, but like you look at, yeah, Mexico, uh, Scandinavia, a whole bunch of Scandinavian countries, just just like the models that they follow are so much different than ours. And and um, like disparaging that idea of like, well, why, you know, looking at that, be like, why can't we have that? Like, what is stopping us? And like you mentioned, it's that kind of neoliberal thinking and those implementations that have been going on for, you know, 30 plus, 30, you know, 35 years that it's kind of like been in the making that it's not really a slow kind of, you know, like we didn't just end up here overnight. Like this is something that has been planned and kind of set in place. And that's again, why it's so ingrained and hard for us to really get out of this, this shitty position we've been, we've been put in. Um, and it, it, yeah, it goes a lot, even just like individuals thinking, like I was watching some videos uh, just in preparation. There's these people that uh, he had a bunch of clips compiled of like people talking about their student loan debt. And kind of in a way, he was, I think he was a libertarian guy who was joking off about um, uh, the, 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 the type of work that they were doing or like how they got into those positions and the fact that, you know, they had accrued so much debt and, um, you know, whatever job they were looking to get into after the fact, like what their degree just wasn't going to cover that. And um, it's very much like an individual burden. It's put on that person and, and that's like their responsibility. And, and it's not, you know, well, what was the system that allowed them to get to that point? Like, why were we giving these kids the option of signing these loans when they're 17, you know, maybe even 16, like 18 years old that, you know, could affect them for the rest of their life? Like, are we thinking about, well, is this the right choice? Like, is this, are these really the right things we want for these kids? And like, you know, you think of education, it's something everybody can agree is just like a, you know, both sides are, you know, more education is better, right? I mean, how can that be a bad thing? Mm -hmm. um, but then you see these issues and you're like, well, you know, what, how can you disparage that? It, it obviously is just like such a trap for so many people. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just very frustrating. And I think it's a lot of different factors, like you said, and we're going to get into those. Uh, so I'm going to start in the past and then move my way closer to the future with how I'm arguing this. So we're going to start with the most obvious thing, and we're going to say uh, the GI Bill. So after World War II, the GI Bill went in place and we shoved thousands and thousands, uh, nearly 800,000 veterans um, through education. Yeah. Um, and some of their families uh, totaling give or take $12 billion based on the department, uh, the DOD site. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so. Uh, sorry. No, no, no. I'm just. Um, keep going, sorry. So basically, um, when we're looking at that, when we see how the GI Bill basically spurred Americans, uh, created a great level of post-war economic uh, wealth, uh, it really hones in on the fact that, at least in the United States, the productivity of the citizens is where our wealth comes from. By educating people more, by giving them more opportunity, they will very literally generate more money, generate generate more economics, get more taxes. We do better, the better people do. That's why we educate them. That's why we build our roads. That's why we build our infrastructure. Yeah. So with the GI Bill as like a past, we pushed literally 800,000 people um, through college. It is surprising to me that we struggle with that idea today because we've already modeled that in the US to a degree. The only difference is that like, people had to risk their lives for that and that's a big difference that i'm not just going to push off here mm -hmm. that they were veterans that they did it and like earned that right but i would also point out that education shouldn't be something that you should have to risk your life for yeah. um, people shouldn't ha be having to survive gunfights uh, going to war for their country just for the chance to be educated and generate that country well. I was going to say, it's like very telling, you know, I mean, and, and obviously when this was implemented, uh, it was a different story, but like you look currently, and I think a lot, I mean, I know a few people who are thinking of, of uh, 
like tracks of going into the military so that they you know can either get a further like further themselves in, in their future career like masters or or send themselves to college like there's a you know this is a very serious line of thinking for some people and and the promises that are made to them might not necessarily all be captured you know who knows what happened god forbid something happens and they they, they pass away while they're serving like these are very real problems and and i think it just goes to show like this is i guess it's very telling the fact that people are willing to sacrifice themselves for a free education and and it's like well so what happens if we give everybody that and then mm -hmm. and then um you know what is the draw for the military in that in that situation but it's it's, it's, it's interesting that that like that's what it became for so many people mm -hmm. like it, the fact that well back in world war ii it was kind of like we had this just huge you know section of the population coming back from being out of the country for like you know two three years and and it was like what do we do with them now you know, no wars were going to be fought or they had hoped and so it's like we need to put these people to work we need to give them some kind of training and so they you know gi bill was a perfect way to do that mm -hmm. and and it's it's just funny to see how it has developed and 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 drawn people in not necessarily in a good way but um you know there is some level of opportunity in that uh, is that something that you know we should we should it's like a good and a bad right i mean it's a good it's a good program but it's like it, is it getting people there for the right reasons i don't know it's yeah. very tough to say a lot of people make the argument that some people shouldn't get that free college because they had to go through that system um, like I, uh, I had to risk my life in the military to get this free college. Like, why should you just get it for free? And those kind of arguments irritate me because it's basically saying, I realize this system is broken. I realize it's bad. I had to like deal with the consequences of it. So now you do too. When in reality, I feel like it would be much more constructive conversation to say, I had to suffer through that. How can we make it for better for the next person? Um, rather than like focusing on that very individual, like I had to do it, so now you have to do it too, and like yeah. suffer along with me. Yeah, it's like a very that's like a very psychological uh, kind of way of people approaching things and, and uh, reinforcing like, oh well, if I had to, if you know if I had to do struggle so hard to get through this, um, other people should struggle as well. Like that kind of becomes their barometer for like this is what you know. Oh, you have to get into debt, or oh, you have to go into the military. Like that is kind of where the goalpost has been moved at this point. Like. Mm -hmm. You know, other countries like Mexico, you mentioned, are students are striking if they increase the price of college, where, you know, in the U.S., prices of college have been increasing, like, you know, very steadily for the past couple of years. And you just kind of see, like, with people like that kind of gatekeeping in a way um, of how you can get in and how you can, you can, you know, how we can expand education. It, it makes it so hard. And it's not even just education. I mean, that, that same argument is used in, like, minimum wage. I think recently there was that one senator... Uh, house member and he was like talking about how much he made when he was working at, at like a, a as a waiter or something and it was just like he was making like a like three dollars an hour and they like caught they had like adjusted it for inflation and it was like twenty dollars an hour it was just like a joke you know it's people that that you know it, the system was awful for them so wh why shouldn't the system be awful for everyone kind of yeah it's it's just so, a pretty, uh you know it's a kind of short-sighted it's, it's very, uh, you're spiting yourself yeah a very spiteful way of looking at things so. so then when we see the GI Bill for the next few years, things are generally, they make sense. People can normally work a summer in college and then they can pay for their college tuition right mm -hmm. up till about we hit Reagan. Mm -hmm. So Reagan kind of, to put it mildly, exploded the system to a certain degree where he created something called tax and expenditure limits, which are self-imposed restrictions that state governments create to restrict the amount they can tax or spend. Um, this was done to like control big uh, state government spending um, and it made it so that higher education, which was mostly being subsidized at a state level and a little bit at the federal um, at the time, uh, was put at risk because if they have, if they can only get so much money, so many taxes, only spend so much to like restrict government, um, you know, that is a place they can cut. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very tough in that regard. Um, yeah, that definitely would seem like a kind of first choice. One of the first areas that they could cut, trim the fat out of the, out of the uh, budget by doing that, um, and then I guess that's kind of where you see the development of the more privatization and and moving in of like well okay if the if the uh, 
state governments aren't going to be putting in any money for the colleges and, and you know helping those systems then there's got to be a private force that would move in and that's where you see these uh, for-profit colleges and, mm-hmm. and a lot of kind of more like third-party colleges and a lot of scams in those same senses um, come in to kind of fill that void and and take kind of advantage in a lot of ways of, of students who are looking to get into colleges um, you know who may not have other options normally <clears throat> yeah they do really what that kind of set this all up for is a situation in which um, a lot of the responsibility for higher education was moved from these state governments from the federal government onto the individual mm-hmm. um, where the vast majority of money wasn't like moved for us and instead expected to be uh, like set up for us and this is another reason why i find like uh, the arguments against free college to be so awkward because when we talk free higher education um, there are some plans, I think Bernie specifically, where they just say absolutely free, no charge. Yeah. I think but that's... the thing is, is like, I think it would be unrealistic to say absolutely free, no charge, uh, because at some point you do need to invest someone in their own education to make sure that they have some skin in the game, at least in my opinion. No, I agree. Uh, but when we say like they should have some skin in the game, I don't mean like they should have thirty thousand, sixteen thousand, forty-five thousand dollars of debt walking out of school, uh, having to work to pay it down, like having to work and do school. I'm talking like classes need to be like fifty to a hundred dollars, where like everyone you can work, you can do classes, but it is something that is doable. Yeah, um, that can be made in a summer, which is another argument that could lead into minimum wage. But we're going to sidestep that for the moment. <laughs> the point being, like, it should be money that is very easily attainable by someone of that age, the 18 to 22, 24 age bracket. I think, yeah, I think the argument against that kind of idea is kind of in the way that you going to college is kind of an investment. Or yeah. What a lot of people would say is that you paying the tuition fees is essentially um, guaranteeing you, and I think you have have a figure here, um, guaranteeing you, like compared to people who don't graduate or who people who go on from high school and don't graduate, uh, college students make 80% more than those counterparts. Um, And I think there's actually like very specific metrics. It's like 50, I think, I don't know, I don't remember the exact figure. I think it was about Mm. 50,000 starting salary, you know, for somebody coming out of a four-year degree versus somebody in a high school uh, you know, with a high school diploma making, you know, X amount, um, mm-hmm. just way less. So some people would say, you know, the costs you're, pu- you're putting in for college would um, be that that kind of investment plan for then you, after graduation, being able to achieve this position that would then pay back those debts mm-hmm. or whatever. But like, at what point do we say, like, at what point is that too much? Like, at what point is just you know, this person can take like 12 college, uh, 12 student loans and rack up like $112,000 in debt. And then they get into a system that they can't even find a job in their major or you know, what have you. Like, there's got to be some kind of um, balance there, you know, like yeah. giving people too much freedom, but at the same time, too much freedom, that sounds like an oxymoron, but like, you know, like, you know what I mean? There, there's got to be a way to, to fix that. And, and there is a, there's a middle ground between shackling someone with debt and then them getting screwed because of economics or because they may have picked a major that's not necessarily exploding in the job market and like someone telling everyone to do stem because that guarantees they'll make enough money back like it's you have to look at it as an investment but also like there's a certain level of empathy you need to have because like people are doing this for the rest of their life this is what they're dedicating themselves to and like to tell them to almost like screw themselves if they don't pick one that makes a lot of money just doesn't feel right to me. It feels like you're like you're punishing them for what they might be good at, what they might be interested in, or you're not yeah. valuing their skills. You're very you're very much limiting what is an okay major, or okay profession. You know, because mm-hmm. the fact that 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 barrier to entry, that you know, the cost of getting into college and paying off those loans is so high. Like you're just literally cutting out jobs from the market that, you know, like you mentioned, if somebody had inclination that they wanted to do X or Y, and then they were like, oh, well, actually the job market's all for that. Like, why would you go into that? But it's like, mm-hmm. you're just kind of very much excluding the passion and the, the like 
at, like at what point is somebody going into a STEM major because they like it or because they're going to get a lot of money out of it? Like, yeah, and that's a very personal decision. And, and obviously people make those things for those choices for different reasons, but like you have to value the, the, the human behind that. And you know, are they going to be in a better place or are they going to actually enjoy that profession later on? And that's like yeah. another thing I think, uh, and this is the kind of a tangent, but like the, the idea that it kind of comes up very fast for a lot of, um, students you know like high school students they're kind of thrown from high school immediately into college and like it's kind of like from the frying pan into the fire it's like a huge kind of leap for those people and and um, the decisions they're making in, in that regard are so heavy and like not even counting the loans they might have to take out like you know signing up for majors or you know the, like the pressure that kids are under just getting into that to that, just know it, what they want to do yeah yeah exactly like that alone is is kind of astronomical and i myself felt that uh going through school in a way and it's like you know, then you add on what we're talking about here the student loan issue and people just signing away like their kind of livelihood for x amount of years after they graduate to then be paid an in interest and uh you know it's just it's a lot and it's a heavy choice yeah, that's not even including like the whole, um, they are also like away from home for the first time in many cases, and they have to figure themselves out suddenly, like do everything properly. And yeah. for some people in what gets me the most here is like, on average, people have about $29,000 in debt based off of the college board um, oh. after coming out of school. So one, we dis this whole system disproportionately helps higher income families because they won't struggle to pay for the increase in college as much. Mm -hmm. um, they will probably have their kids be more capable. In other words, having a car, um, not having to get a job so they can better focus on school, Yeah. Um, making sure that their kids like are raised in a good environment. So like when they're doing this transition to going on their own, it will just very literally go smoother for them. It is very heavily like assisted by money money to get into the college money you need money to freaking apply so that college board will send sat scores for you electronically and then and then so, yeah oh sorry but like not even to discount um this is kind of a thing i was reading in, a, in another study looking at kind mm -hmm. of like socioeconomics and how that plays into um like debt levels and like what like kind of like a can you chart an expectation of like how much a student is going to be in debt uh, given their socio, socio, their parents' socioeconomic status, and like one of the things I mentioned, you know, like you were saying, the fact that they have these, they can give their kids a car, they can give their kids kind of the financial stability to then, um, you know, not have to have a job while they're going to school, and they can kind of focus on that, you know, paying for the the test fees, paying their kids to get tutored for the SAT tests that then guarantee them a position possibly in the school, like you know, all of those levels, mm -hmm. and then the fact that like those. Their, teach, their, uh, sorry, their teachers, their, their parents might themselves be from a college background, college educated background. So they kind of have that understanding of like, oh, this is what we have to do. You know, like there's steps to the process versus like first generation students who may not have that experience that their parents may have. So like, you know, they don't know, oh, I have to sign up for this by this day. Like there's yeah. just so many things that can get. Uh, and that's not even including how some colleges will make it more likely you get in if your family has bet gone to the college. Oh it's like yeah. this is just a very compounding issue. It really is. Um, it is. Where like it heavily favors people with more money. And mm -hmm. so like when we talk about like scholarships and that being like that's how you should pay like that there that's what's there for the lower income families. But like, there's just very literally not enough money. There's just not enough money. This reminds People me. People wouldn't be walking out with an average of $30,000 in debt uh, if there was enough money in scholarships. No, I mean, I think at least when we were going through school and like in high school, especially, um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I felt, and I definitely didn't do as much as I could have for scholarships, but like they were out there, but like, again you have to know where to look for them you have to be willing to put your time and effort into doing that and it, like you know having parents that have done that is a big benefit mm -hmm. um, there's so many other extenuating factors to add on to that and it, it really reminds me when we were talking about um, the welfare state and that kind of thing and how they had used um you know charities as a way of of uh kind of advocating the government's responsibility. And that's kind of, mm -hmm. in my mind, what a lot of people might think of scholarships. Like, you know, scholarships are a way of 
people who wouldn't be able to get into college can then use them to pay through their way through college. And I think that is just a ve- that's just a very uh, you know flimsy argument that doesn't hold up at all. You know they can they can maybe get their foot in the door with scholarships, but they're not going to be just you know going off of them alone. They're going to need some kind of loan, some kind of job. There's just there's way more you know issues that they run into uh, compared to others. So on top, that's like not even including the fact that like these scholarships that people are like, just apply for them, just apply for them. Like, they're all so different. There's some that are like $100 to $500. There's some, uh, there are very, very few of them that give like that free ride that you just get everything paid for. Yeah, no. And that's not including your rent, not including like your, uh, if you need a car, not including if you need to stay nearby campus, because some of these cities, the campuses are in are incredibly expensive to live in. It's just, it is a very, it's a very swamp of a situation where you're just sinking in slower and slower and slower over time. And that's the same with the, like the debt, you know, they go and, okay, I need X amount for tuition or X amount for like the first year, uh, you know, fees. And then, okay, we're going to get a loan for that. And then you, you get there and then, Oh, I got to pay for my dorm. Okay. We got to get a loan for that. And then just, it kind of just builds on itself. And then mm-hmm. I think a lot of the, a lot of the time it's like, you know, you're, you're already, you know, waist deep in the debt. Like why not keep going? Like, you know, you, what's the point in you going halfway and then not finishing? Like, I think a lot of people can also fall into that mentality as well. And it, it kind of traps a lot of people in the fact that they're like, well, I'm this far already. Why not? Why not continue? And then finally get this job that is then going to let me pay everything back. And that's like, you know. And that's if you get that job yeah. and, and if it's paying you well enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's just this whole situation just kind of boils out of control. Not necessarily because th- there is some individual responsibility. Technically, you are the one signing those papers. Mm-hmm. You are the one deciding to go to college. But it really makes the question like, is college a choice? Kind of ring painfully true because, as we said before, like if you're making eighty percent more than your high school counterparts, if you're being forced into this situation where everyone, it's uh, kind of expected, your friends are doing it, where you're being told that it's the right decision if you want to like build wealth and like go somewhere in life. Um, If that's what you even want to do because you enjoy education, like it's just, it's for a lot of people, not a choice. You have to do it to keep up, especially with the fact that our economy is becoming more and more specialized as jobs are becoming more and more education required to get in them. Mm-hmm. And, and like not trying to build this tangent even farther, but like, holy crap, like even if we get these uh, jobs, like what's the economic conditions when we come out? Like if I graduate during COVID, like I'm screwed and that's not my fault. And yeah. I still have loans due in three months. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I graduate, uh, and I'm trying to get an entry-level position, and I don't have an internship, or I don't have enough experience, because you now need experience for entry-level ex- uh, jobs. Like, it's just there's a lot of compounding problems that are not necessarily directly the student loans' fault. That just blow it out of control to make it worse. Yeah, they just spiral on and 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 add on just so many more layers, and that's why this is such a kind of huge, expansive issue. Is something that. Um, uh, it's hard to just say there's one right answer or there's one solution because really, you know, like we've been bringing up, it's just a cacophony of like, you know, this little thing and then this little thing. And then, and then the dots all connect and you're like, well, shit, like I'm $50,000 in student loan debt. And then, you know, yeah, like you mentioned getting out like the, the, you know, the whims of the market and getting out, like the people getting out in 2008 during the recession, like they were just absolutely fucked. I mean, there is no way they were going to find a, a job in their field uh, especially that would then allow them to pay those loans back that they had just accrued and then hoped, oh, okay, eventually I'm going to get out and be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I know at least for me, that was something I always had in the back of my mind. Like, even still, it's like, you have to kind of have that you know, tucked away, like being careful and being kind of cognizant of the fact that you might not find the perfect position after you graduate, or you may have to take a while to get there. Or like you said, there's so many other, you, know, you have to do the internships, you have to do these things. Like there's a lot of pressure and a lot of uh, just things that feel like they're out of your control that you mm-hmm. have no influence on. And, and it, that's not your fault. Like yeah. 
the thing I'm really trying to dig into here is that you and I don't decide that. We don't decide the economic conditions. We don't decide uh, what the job that we want to do so that uh, like charges and pays us for. We don't decide the cost of tuition. Like yeah. that isn't our fault. And it's not necessarily that we don't know all of this going in because if I'm being completely frank with you, I didn't know all of this going in. Like, I don't think I know anyone knew all of this going in. No. So like, what, at what point is it like, oh, like you guys should have done personal responsibility. You should have done this research beforehand. Like you should have known that there would have been an economic crisis. You should have planned this. You should have like gotten a job and paid for it yourself. Like, when is it no longer my personal responsibility? And is it just me getting attacked from all sides, especially at a young age, when I just don't know, where there's not a high school class saying, hey, this is how you do this. Exactly, exactly. And then, yeah, I think that's the worst part is there really is no kind of uh, congruent like messaging or even we got very little, and this is more personal, but like we got mm -hmm. very little uh, at the school me and you went to high school, we've got very little real uh, kind of training at least from the counseling of the school mm -hmm. there was very i mean you had to kind of go out of your way to to get any real like explanations or help with like applying or mm -hmm. you know what you should do to to fresh these like all those things um so you can imagine like how hard it is for people who don't even really aren't are unsure of like if they want to go and then they kind of see okay everyone else is going okay maybe i should go and then like then they get they just fall into this trap of like well i gotta sign some loans to get in and then I got to do this to get it. It's like, it just builds on itself. And like you mentioned, mm -hmm. you, you could get out and then you could have a you know, recession and then what you're just going to do an entry level job and, you know, just hope someday you can pay these debts off. But I mean, a lot of people, there's compounding issues with that. And the longer in life that people are with these debts, the harder it is for them to get anywhere and, and really pay them back. And then it forces them into other situations like, okay, they're, they're not going to be able to buy a house. You know, their credit's bad. They have these loans. So they're not going to get a mortgage. They're not going to get a, a you know a down payment for their house for a loan. So then they're just going to be renting. And then they're just renting and continuing renting and paying their rent. And then they're also paying the interest off on their loans. And it's like, it kind of just puts them in a trap. And like you said, it shackles yeah. them in a lot of ways. And like, what if someone wants to change their major? So then they have to add extra time on. Like the, there's an infinite amount of ways yeah. you can lose. There's <laughs> literally almost an infinite amount of ways you can lose. The best option for the vast majority of kids, if they're willing to swallow their pride and do what they need to do, is they pick a STEM field, they research how the job market is going, they still take a bet on that job, go for it, and then try to let and like try to do well in classes, do their best, and like graduate, try to get a job doing that, getting an internship, everything like that. And that's like a best case scenario. Yeah, that's like all the cards are right. Yeah. It and even then, like, you still have the money, you still have this. And it's just, there's a lot of ways this can go wrong. There's a lot of outside compounding factors that just are not considered in a lot of conversations. And this is particularly why it bothers me when we have, like, specifically Republicans talking about, like, you know, people need to get some skin in the game. Um, people need, like, that's not a bad thing. It's an investment. They're paying this money off in the future. Mm -hmm. And it irritates me because they would economically benefit helping people through college. This is a very simple thing because the more people are educated, the more people create businesses, the more people make money, the more we have economic growth, the more economic growth we have, the more that stimulates it. It's a self-like fulfilling prophecy here. Yeah. Um, people can will have more options with more education. It means they're less likely to fall in like a social safety net. They're more likely to make more money. There's more money to tax. Like there's just, it very much does not hurt people to like, be empathetic to give people this option mm -hmm. and again i'm not necessarily arguing for a completely free college i'm just saying like how it exists right now is just there's so many landmines that are so hard to see coming that it's almost impossible to work it out yeah i mean and then and then you compound that on the fact that none of these people that yeah, have this foresight of this is what's going to happen or even the fact that they like going back to them signing the loan and they're 17 and they didn't even you don't even read the whole thing you don't know how much it really could even be accruing if you're not paying attention and keeping up mm -hmm. 
And then, because again, I don't, for most loans, right? I don't think you, you, you don't even have to, you don't start paying them off until you get Not until you graduate. And so then you like, have sometimes three to six months to do it. And sometimes it's immediate. It's so depends on the Yeah, loan. it really depends on the situation. And some of them are subsidized by the government and some aren't. And then if you have the FAFSA, that sometimes helps, but that sometimes only gives you subsidized loan. It's complicated and it's really stupid. Yeah, yeah. And, and the worst one I was looking at, um, they were talking about, it was a, so it's a subsidized government loan but they then sell the right to the loan to a um, to a third party company that is then kind of managing it and taking the payments off of that. So they pretty much buy it off of the government, mm -hmm. um, but the government still subsidizes it. So either way, the company that is like the banking company that's buying the loan is going to be guaranteed those payments back. But mm -hmm. at the same time, they're charging interest rates on the people who have those loans. So like it is honestly in the bank's best interest to have those people continue just like slowly paying it off but not enough that it actually pays off right so they just keep adding interest on top of it yeah and then like either way you know the person passes it away i mean or they pay it off but then if that doesn't happen the government comes in and pays it. so it's like you know the, it is a no-lose situation for yeah, the private companies very, that have entered the space very much and they're making you know boatloads of money and that's yeah. like the number one reason why things are not going to change and why things are getting in many ways worse and college is getting more expensive so it's like yeah yeah, it this is scarily like eerily. Sorry, this is scarily eerie to other markets that exist like this, like flood insurance, mm -hmm. um, where this the government is very much like paying these companies to do the claims, um, to handle it for them, and they just make money, make money, make money when they sh should be losing it. But like, I, I want to kind of reframe this conversation a tiny okay. bit. So we've basically done a great job of pointing out like why the individual is getting screwed by the system. Mm -hmm. So like how there's a trope out there, kind of like a, a very easy pointing is like higher le uh, level education college um, has a lot of frivolous spending, um, lazy rivers, <laughs> rock walls, huge gyms, getting the best professors who like used to be astronauts. Yeah. Um, and how like these luxuries are costing money, how these luxuries are like um, are like destroying everything. And so this is very much like it's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. Like to put very, very simply, it's stupid. So one, um, like these bonuses, these like frivolous spendings, aren't always or are let me back that up a tiny bit these frivolous spendings these rock walls big gyms everything like that are normally a very small fraction of the of the budget of a university um they are normally focused on bigger things uh financial aid money like paying for the administration making sure that they're paying for their campus upgrading it trying to make it better to attract more students mm -hmm. like this is normally not their focus one two the standard of living has increased over time like college students are to some degree looking to get wowed because these schools are competing for students yeah. so they're going to try to add some of these things um and I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea um, because for people to make the argument like they just shouldn't have them, they shouldn't do this, they shouldn't add this for the students uh, to help save them money. I kind of disagree because it's like we – just because you didn't have that when you were in college, just because this type of luxury was used to pull students in um, to increase the marketing for the school doesn't necessarily mean that it shouldn't exist now or it's not helpful or like having recreation for students is a bad idea. And then the final thing being like, um, they, uh, if you'll give me half a second to find my direct quote here. Um, generally speaking, a million dollar, uh, like most of our growth in cost for a college are in um, faculty. So specifically from the book of the faculty, <laughs> um, the author juxtaposes that the historical analysis and the date uh, showing that the growth of the rank of administrators has increased by 85% and the associated professional staff by 240%. Uh, 
when faculty has only grown by 51 between 1975 and 2005. Specifically, he says that uh, a multi-million dollar president could be kidnapped by space aliens and it would be weeks or months before his or her absence is noticed on campus. Uh-huh. Like these um, in growth administration, the growth in professional staff, like TAs trying to off put work off of professors and stuff like that. That's what's building the vast majority of costs in colleges rather than like building a gym or building like a recreational area or trying to like offer students like mental health care which fundamentally i think should be added pretty much anywhere yeah I mean, I, that'd be insane if somebody was arguing against that kind of thing i mean people probably are wait probably. but your point about the administrators was that uh that was more of a frivolous spending than the fa- like the other things or what were you- yes i'm saying that that's growing significantly faster than that of the other idea of frivolous spending of those yeah. type of rock walls and that type of stuff. But because I, I, fundamentally, these middle management jobs create more middle management jobs because yeah. eventually communication in itself becomes a job to keep everyone. If I can tell an anecdote from a story from my own time, like when I was running a, a club at my college, I needed to run in, talk to our dean, get him to sign a piece of paper, and then I'd never bug him again. But mm-hmm. to do that, I needed to message his secretary, and then I needed to make, get a time slot for that, and then she vetted me before I was allowed to go in. And then the dean was busy, so I had to wait a few weeks for that to happen, and yeah. then they would had to reschedule with me if something went wrong. And like that whole process is just unnecessary. There, it, It's to the point where I'm like, hey, at what point can I just swing in, get him to sign a piece of paper, and move on? Like It's just – at what point is there very literally too much administration? Yeah, it's it's tiring. I mean, and like somebody outside of the system, like a student, you'd think that would the system it is made for, right? Like we're paying the college's uh, fees. Like we're putting these people in their jobs, essentially. Like you'd think that they'd be doing it in your interest and they'd be, they'd, you, know, you would be a, you know, a very important part of their decisions and, and why they'd be doing these things. But I think I would say that that whole um, middle management growth and the whole, you know, more administrators being a bad thing. I think that is kind of incongruent with the whole marketing push and the whole kind of um, the, the push for more amenities and more, you know, positive things that then would draw people in. Like I, I myself kind of would push back on the fact that like having a lazy river like at our college at UCF would actually be a good thing and bring people to the school. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just making the argument that it is not a large, like, part of the budget, and it's not, like, the main area I would go for cuts. I mean, I think, at least in my perspective, what I'm looking at and why I think that those kinds of of ways of spending are so much worse than, like, anything else is that, you know, really, is that necessary? Is that a function that the school should be holding, or are they just doing that because they think they need to? And it goes mm-hmm. to the point of like marketing and trying to persuade students to go to this college over that one, or you know, why would they want to go to this one? We have a better gym. Like, you know, I think it's getting away from the idea of what a college is and why people would want to go to it. You're mm-hmm. kind of, you know, leaving that arena of um, you know, I want to go there for the professors, I want to go there to learn, I want to go there for you know, those reasons. And it's more like an experiential push. It's more, Mm -hmm. you know, what can I do when I'm there that then satisfies me and makes me feel like I'm getting my money's worth. And, and that kind of continued effort of of selling those ideas and selling those, those things, and literally those things is is kind of, you know, neglecting why, what higher education is and why these people should actually want to go. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you see, especially our our school's response to COVID and so many others, because they were so afraid that, students not being physically present, we're going to realize, well, like, why the fuck am I paying this much money for the same education I could be getting with like a GDP education or GDP education that I could be getting at a state school or like a, you know, local school. So like, it was that loss of that experience that really, I think was what made the colleges so afraid because they're just ever increasing the, the cost of tuition. They're ever increasing the cost of classes. And then instead of actually, you know, in a lot of ways, putting those resources back into the, the school and or into like, you know, giving those programs more money to then further themselves, they're pouring it into a lazy river or they're pouring it into the, the um, RWC, you know, the gym. Like, mm. And I think it's tough because 
everybody uses the, the school faculty, everybody uses the, the you know, everybody's there to learn, but not everybody's there to use the gym, not everybody's there to use that lazy river. Like, you know, there's so many people, especially like, again, going back to our example of UCF, mm -hmm. there's so many students online. So their tuition equally pays for the RWC, equally pays for the stuff on campus, equally pays for all of those construction processes when they don't even go to the campus. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mm -hmm. just prefer those that funds or have more control of, of and transparency for how people are spending, you know, how to how uh, administrators are using this money. I don't disagree. I do. I so I will definitely relent on the fact that like, if we were gonna cut, that would be a good place to start. Uh, administration, obviously, the biggest, easiest way to cut, at least from what I have read. Mm -hmm. um, and I will also 100% agree that with COVID-19 kind of showing to us what could be, um, online classes, like having it where we're just kind of more relaxed where we don't have to pay money to be there in person where they are providing us a similar education without having to have us all there in person would definitely prove that our tuition is significantly too high it just kind of like it it's all a compounding thing of like some kids really waking up and going like holy crap yeah it shouldn't be this way yeah so i just hope that action is taken in that and it also makes you wonder like why can't we keep doing this but that's besides from the point yeah but that, then it's like it's so tough because they have like you know we've all we've mentioned we've been mentioning these all these reasons people would want to go to college and we made that question is choosing college actually a choice and it's like you know we they've kind of have this captive audience of people who are continually going to be filling in these seats and continually coming to their schools and paying the money so like mm -hmm. they have this captive audience they have the consumers like they just increase this, the, the prices of the goods, they increase the prices of college and people are just going to keep paying as has been shown. Like there's really you no know, downside for the college in that regard. Like, mm -hmm. and then we get back to the fact that the government is subsidizing. I think it, in 2019, it was like 92% of all loans or not all loans are subsidized, but all loans were carried out by the government for student loans. Yeah. You know, a portion of those being subsidized, but like they have a guarantee at some point they're going to get money back and they're going to be paid. So like the schools aren't having issues. So it's just a big issue. It's like a big circle, you know? Yeah. The know. final thing I want to go over in this circle is two things. One, uh, in 2008, in its most recent, eco recent economic recession, mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of cuts to higher education, building off of what Reagan did uh, in about the 1970s. Mm -hmm. um, they also made it so that student loans were incredibly easy to get with things like FAFSA, making it so that it's non-dischargeable, which was done before 2008, I want to stress. Mm -hmm. um, so this all together kind of made it so that there was a lot of money that was sent into colleges um, from students that was being subsidized by the government, which kind of bothered me because I'm like, if it's being subsidized by the government, why not just have the government pay in the first place? But that's kind of aside from the point. Really, the second thing I'm trying to get at here is that the current system we live in, especially for um, education, is that it is functioned to control the movement among social classes. And it makes for a place to target people through costs, through expenses, to either stop them from moving up or make it so that they struggle harder to move up the social ladder to make it so that it's really separating that upper 1% from the 99% since so much wealth is just pouring into them. Um, this is shown more with how it's so much easier for the 1% to get through college, how they're better prepared for it, for everything like that, down to the fact that like we have these Ivy League schools that cost so much more money than that of like state schools and that type of thing. Uh, which we could argue like isn't even good to subsidize or give free college to because one kid through like Oxford could put like 10, 20, 30 kids through like a different co uh, community college. Mm -hmm. So like it gets complicated. But again, we're not talking about the literal plan to do free college oh. right now. So I can't, I have to be careful the standpoint here. The point being, this education system, especially with neoliberalism so deeply dug into it, is basically built to stop people from moving up the social classes or make it very difficult for them. As a whole, 
education itself is used to rise up um, from uh, like the poverty to rise up from that because we literally have um, like the escape from poverty. I don't think it was Reagan, but there was like that famous speech where it's like um, you use education to escape from. Sorry, it's slipping me at the moment. With the final point that I'm trying to make being basically that um, we have a situation where like we, for many reasons, we have the greatest um, wealth inequality that has happened in about 80 to 100 years. Uh, And like this system of education, which could be used to counter that, to fix that, it's just being used instead to worsen the problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like, the, you have the people, that same 1%, the same group of people who are amassing just exorbitant amounts of wealth, uh, the same as the other 99, are, are then also in control mm. of, of um, ensuring or, you know, decentivizing people from the, you know, going through education or just controlling the means of which people are doing that you know the the the, mm-hmm. the same people who are providing those loans and the privatized loans um, those companies are you know very much in that game they want people to then go through that and um, yeah, it's very tough it's a very mm-hmm. situation and I think that's really the heart of the problem is that the just the massive amount I because what is that it was like Student loan debt is totaling like over a trillion dollars, something, something insane. Like, yeah, I'll Google it. Here is it's crazy, and like, so that, that money is not just disappearing. Like, that's going somewhere, um, but it's not. Going- uh, it's one point seven one trillion based off of uh, student loan hero. But so that that money, it's not going nowhere. But it's not going back into the economy. Obviously, it's going to these banks. It's going to you know other organizations. It's so it's just kind of tying it up and it's not it's not being productive in any way and it's yeah it's it's like the same thing with people who are ultra wealthy who have like trillion i think it was bezos who passed the trillion mark at first but anyways maybe um I don't know. uh these rich really rich individuals have so much money that's just not circulating in the economy that's just getting garnered and garnered and garnered and garnered and it's like, what's it very literally hurts our economy not to have this money circulating, to have these people building wealth, buying houses, you know, and working on that. And I find it very likely, and this is a bet, I want to be clear, that this, all of this will collapse in on itself sometime in the next 20, uh, 10 to 20 years is two things happen. One, we have baby boomers who like are trying to sell their houses entirely and move out of the job market. Mm-hmm. Um, because they will be trying to like ga- garner the wealth that they think their things are worth. But if we don't have younger people like us who are able to buy it, <laughs> yeah. they're kind of screwed. And secondarily, it'll be a really big uh, shrinking of the economy because we will have people who are not paid enough, who are not able to consume at the level that these corporations are requiring. And as these debts come due, and as they just build up and get worse, it'll create a situation where these people will either be stuck in these debt traps, unable to build as much economic wealth as they can, which will hinder the companies and the richest people, or what will happen is so much wealth will fall to the 1% that we might have a complete revolution. That one's extremely unlikely, but I'm just saying, like, you know, it can get bad. Wow. All right. You heard it here first. Folks, if, if you want the to first a- bet that we're gonna, the United States will get overthrown, step one. I don't, I don't know, man. That's a that's a ways away. That's more than it's more. a long ways away. I'm just saying that there has it's, to be an end to this loop. You there has to be. Of like what's going on now, and you're very so much indebted in that loop and embedded in that. Um, but I wanted to mention like the point you were saying. I mean, there's just people already. There's people currently still trapped in debt, and there's people. You know, millennials themselves are, are feeling it more, and when tuition prices are rising, people are just, you know, more and more people are in those same places, especially the people in the last, like, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years who came uh, to graduate you know, during the recession and, and had such awful straits and such awful uh, outlook and possibilities for their jobs. But, like, you think about um, the fact that, you know, student loan debt is not dischar- dischargeable. It Repayment feature or repayment failure can lead to garnishing of wages, you know, interception of tax returns, and long-term credit score repercussions. 
And like these people are very limited in their outlook and in their possible future. And then, yeah, like you said, you know, baby boomers, people of the Gen Z, Gen, no, Gen X, Gen yeah. X, who are then you know, relying on the system to then further have, they have capital in the system that they want to come time to sell or whatever they have the possessions that then these people cannot afford and i, I don't know we don't know what's going to happen there's not oh. if there is not a group to buy something stock housing anything else its yeah. price will inevitably decrease since if you can't sell it it's not worth that much money just that is how selling something works. yes yeah so it worries me that like they might be hobbling a younger generation here and very much be screwing themselves on the back end because if no one can buy it after them, only, like they are just they have no options. They can't sell it. They can't get their capital, which means that it's not technically capital. It means that it's less than what it's worth, and it's just it's a very snowbally effect. Yeah. And it's very sad because it's very short term. Like it's very short term. You know, like strategy it's very short-term gains they're getting and then they're creating these long-term lasting awful impacts and it's like mm. at what cost or like at what level are those people allowed to make those decisions for everyone and have no real like we have no say in what they're doing or anything like uh, it's just very tough it's very a very sticky situation yeah so, yeah um, so overall um do you have anything else to add if uh no i don't think so this was a pretty good overview we covered a, definitely a lot of ground on this yeah. one. uh the final thing uh like for an overview here i generally think the fix to this uh solution is to do two things mm -hmm. one i think the complete removal of student debt would be not catastrophic but we would have to be very careful how that's done in the sense that there are um, companies, there are entire like groups built around this. And admittedly, they are not groups I like. We're talking like interest, we're talking hedge funds, we're talking yeah. the part of the government. To erase $1.7 trillion while some people draw it as a parallel to bailing out the banks is slightly different. Uh, they like to literally erase it versus to keep something afloat causes different issues um but yeah. secondarily i generally think we should switch and start really funding our education system um and trying to like lower tuition costs just to make sure that people can get on that social ladder so they can succeed in their life rather than so that very literally they can help pay their share of taxes rather than out of a place of particular love yeah more money will circulate um yeah, yeah i mean i think it's going to take a lot of just culturally, like we were mentioning the people, like the individuals thinking that a lot of people have in, in this regard. Like, I think it's going to take a lot of overcoming uh, those norms as well to, to finally be like, well, you know, at what point are we all going to, to realize this is just the, just the kind of shit lot we're given and that we can, you know, hopefully make some kind of change on that. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be this one person's fault because they were, you know, it's, a kid that had so many other social factors on top of it that then decided to take out these loans and then they're stuck with them forever. Like, I think it's going to be a lot more of just bringing that up and, and considering those ideas and like really just morally like, like thinking about those things to, to actually be like, well, actually this is an awful thing that we should then change. Like, I think that's going to have to change a lot in a lot of people's minds. Cause I think a lot of people still that are paying these debts or maybe feel um, in some way obligated and feel like, you know, they definitely are demeaned by the fact that they have these, like I can imagine myself having such debt, like it very literally impacts how you feel like consciously. I think it definitely uh, kind of, and, and those people's minds can weigh heavily on, on how productive they feel or do they feel like they're really making a difference or all those things. So like, it's just gonna take a lot of changing people's minds and, and a lot of thinking on it. Kind of similar to our topic on uh, gun control. I think it's, gonna, yeah. it's a very multifaceted issue. Otherwise, uh, I had a recommended. I, I don't know. I have a recommended reading too. I, is it Noam Chomsky? Uh, no, it's actually just um, if people really want to get deeper into like how the money is being spent in colleges, the fall the fall of the faculty is a great option. Okay. Um, and yeah, pretty cool. And I have uh, this is like tangentially related. Uh, Free lunch. It's by David K. Johnson. Um, and he just came up in my research. Uh, it was a very interesting kind of like clip of him I was watching. 
but this is a book he has written. Um, talks about a lot about the economy and kind of like uncertainty with debt, bankruptcy, and just kind of like the American psyche and all that. So, so it's like a very kind of confluence uh, of issues. But yeah, that's uh, the episode. Don't forget to check us out on all of our social medias. And remember, if you don't join the social medias, when we start the socialist revolution and start to take over this world, <laughs> you won't be a part of it. You won't be one in our, in our officer corps. Join now! <laughs> Help me destroy this neoliberal hell! Join now or get re-educated. <laughs> the propaganda flow! <laughs> but that was a good conversation. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. See y'all next week. And don't forget, think for yourself. Think for yourself. Think for yourself. All right.